1: We're going to spend some time in this portion of the program talking about power. Now, at least you think we're going to dive into a bit of a thesis on how to reduce your energy bills and uh, save money. Uh, No, not quite that kind of power, but power nevertheless, a topic that while most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about in a direct fashion, we nevertheless are engaged in it. Some of us exercise it. Others have a thirst or a yearning for it. It's something that we think about at certain levels, and yet we have this very odd relationship with power. We know certainly that the old adage, what is it, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But what of our relationship to this topic of power from a spiritual standpoint? My next guest tonight has taken some time to dive deeper into this very equation, and he details his findings and really kind of kind of pulling back, so to speak, the, the layers of the onion to help us better understand our relationship to power inside the pages of Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. It is written by author, executive editor of Christianity Today, Andy Crouch. And Andy, thanks so much for being on the program with us.
2: Thank you, Craig. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Fascinating topic. It's something that, as I say, well, we probably don't get up every day and think specifically about this topic. It's one that we're we're tied into on a day by day basis, and a lot of us find ourselves even in this in this struggle for or against power of one sort or another, uh, literally daily, don't we?
2: it's part of being a human being i think it's actually part of being a living any living creature uh... has some kind of power because power in the most basic sense is just the ability to make a difference in the world to make some kind of change in the world and if you're alive you're doing that one way or another but as human beings, we have much more complex kinds of power than other creatures do, other parts of creation do. And that's ultimately because we're, we're made in the image of God in, in a way that other creatures aren't. And I think that's why every human being, uh, you know, you mentioned a yearning for power. Every human being kind of wants room to, to make something of value and worth. But then also, this has become very distorted uh, by our own sin and the ways that we've uh, distanced ourselves from God.
1: Indeed, we see uh, laid out literally from the Garden of Eden uh, the capacity of power to either do good or do evil, and then it seems as if it's been a, a history-long, lifelong struggle for mankind in trying to deal with, well, what exactly is our relationship to power? What do we do with it? Why do we yearn for it? How do we corrupt it? How do we drive it in the right direction so that it can, in fact, do more mm-hmm. good than it does evil? You know, when you when you
2: lay it out like that, you realize, in a way, The whole story of scripture is a story about power. It's about the original power that human beings were meant to have. They're made in the image of God. They're the climax of creation in Genesis 1. And they're given dominion, you know, that's a power word, over the whole creation. These very frail, vulnerable creatures, just like you and me, are, are told that they're to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And, you know, all this stuff that pre-technological humanity couldn't directly control. And yet they're given this vision that they're there to represent the creator in the midst of creation. But then something goes very wrong, and I think you'd sum it up by saying they try to uh, declare depend- uh, declare independence from God. They try to separate themselves from God and use their power for themselves. And the power that we were meant to have, which was meant to be the, for the flourishing of the whole world, ends up being kind of turned in on our own uh, benefit, our own self-protection. And then the question becomes, how is God going to intervene to set this story right. And that, in many ways, is is the story of the rest of the Bible.
1: And it really is amazing, as you point out. I mean, literally, in the opening chapter of Genesis, we see the first action of God, a display of His power, as he engages in his creative power to bring about planet Earth, then we see later on once mankind is about the scene. Uh, first, an account of the power struggle between Lucifer and God himself, and right. then later on man's power struggle as we engage in this battle in the Garden of Eden. Eden, and it seems as if this this issue of kind of a a power struggle with God or against God has kind of been a component from day one, hasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, and this was actually true even in the world
2: where the where the book of Genesis was first written down because the other creation stories that were told by the the gods of Babylon or the you know the religion of Babylon all said that the world began with a conflict uh, they were all conflict stories. The amazing thing about Genesis one is it does not have it doesn't begin with conflict the conflict comes in later, and the the root conviction of Genesis 1 is that when God uses his creative power, it brings only abundance. It's not kind of a zero-sum game, where if I win, you lose, or if you win, I lose. Instead, you get more and more flourishing. Uh, what happens, though, when the man and the woman are tempted, <laughs> and when they give into that, and when that sets in motion, really, history as we know it, is power becomes about conflict and it becomes about competition it's no longer about mutual flourishing where we actually both could win it's about one of us is going to to dominate uh, the other or one force is going to dominate the other and we start to believe that that's the realist form of power that the, the most real power is the power that can make you do something you don't want to do rather than the power that can call into being a world or new kinds of creativity new kinds of culture uh, that actually benefits everyone.
1: So what's fascinating about this, then, is we really get pulled into this topic, Andy, of power in relationship to whether it's being used for uh, malevolent purposes or, on the other hand, malevolent purposes, mm-hmm. that impacts every relationship that we have. I mean, certainly it, it, with God, I mean, sin is w- what better description of the power struggle yeah. uh, that exists between mankind and God uh, than to see sin and, and how that power fight's going on, and not just though on the vertical plane, but even on the horizontal plane in our relationships. Yeah. I mean, uh, think of the young teenager who's rebelling against his parents, and all of a sudden there's this power struggle that we see that's being displayed there. E- even the friction between husband and wife and relationships at that level oftentimes are demonstrative of this fight over power. They really
2: are about power. And, uh, and I think that's because in many ways it's the, most, it's the most fundamental thing we're given to work with as human beings, either for good or for bad. Um, and so you do find it in every relationship, actually, every workplace, every church, Every family, and, and most of us, realistically, the place where most of us have the most power is in our family relationships. Especially if we're parents, but even, even, uh, those of us who are parents know, children have tremendous power in their relationship with their parents. Mm-hmm. And, and of course that's why so much of the Bible story is the story of families that either get it somewhat right, never entirely right, uh, and sometimes get it terribly wrong, um, and, you know, again, we often think, you know, when we think of power, I think we often think of, you know, politics or perhaps military power, and those are very real. But when I started to dive into this issue, I realized actually all of us confront these issues every single day. I confront it in my own home, not just when I'm out doing allegedly powerful things, but even in choosing how I relate to my wife and my children, my neighbors. It happens at every scale of human society. Well,
1: even deeper than that, perhaps, Andy, is the power struggle that goes on internally. I mean, look, for example, (laughs) Paul talked about, you know, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know to do good, and yet I do it not. Daily, I have to die unto the flesh. Don't we see demonstrated there, in that sense, an internal power struggle going on? Do we yield to God? Do we yield to the devil? Who's going to kind of get control here?
2: I think that's an amazing observation, and what it always, I think, uh, for many people, the real question in life is not actually, does God exist? I think most people know God exists, and Paul says, even those who don't believe that sort of suppress the truth, they still know the truth, but the real question is, is God good? (laughs) And, And especially... If I serve God, well, does that mean I have to give up things I want? Does that mean I have to give up what's good? And the, the root of, of every abuse of power is the idea that, that we can't both get something good. Either I and God, I can't, God can't get what's, you know, good for God and good for me, or you and I, if we get locked in a power struggle, we start to believe either I win or you win. And when that enters into our relationship with God, we've basically believed the very thing the serpent says in Genesis uh, 3, which is God's actually jealous of his power and he doesn't want you to have all of it. So you better eat that fruit so that you'll have what God doesn't want you to have. And that's the fundamental lie, that God wants you to have something that would actually be good for you, but that God doesn't want you to have.
1: And that's an amazing point that you make there because there is an aspect of this power that we define in the flesh. And I mean, we just bring up the topic. We think of power. It's the energy to drive, to do something, to accomplish something. And we often think that, well, the greatest display of power is when we're flexing our muscles to use power, failing perhaps to recognize that it somehow, there's there's another aspect that can show how powerful we can be that in the flesh might seem to be weak, but in the spiritual realm, is in fact very powerful. We'll talk a bit about that too as we continue our conversation today. Andy Crouch on the line with us today. He, executive editor of Christianity Today and the author of a new book called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues here on KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig
1: Roberts. Dissecting today in this edition of Lifeline all of the power struggles that we see at so many levels within our relationships, within our history, Uh, really going back to the beginning of time tonight with Andy Crouch. Um, He, of course, does not go quite back to the beginning of time, but he's been around for a while, enough to be able to be executive editor of Christianity Today, a prolific writer. One of his other best-selling books includes Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling. We're talking today, though, about his latest book, newly published by University Press, called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Interesting, Andy, when we talk about the ways in which sometimes power gets distorted— we always have that sense that power's about getting my way. Yeah. And if I just get my way, I'm somebody that's very powerful. And yet sometimes surrendering parts of ourselves, while perceived perhaps in the flesh to be weakness, actually can be quite powerful, can't it?
2: Yes, and, uh, you know, it's amazing how, often you, how much time you spend in the first chapter of Genesis when you start thinking about this, because, of course, the first chapter of Genesis begins with, God, the creator, who we know as Christians is three persons, three in one, and there's that interesting moment in Genesis 1 where God actually says, let us make humankind. And that uh, creator is already complete. He has his way, if you want to put it that way, already without making the world. And yet this God desires to bring into being a world that's going to have all of these other creatures, starting with very simple creatures uh, in the first days of creation, as, it's, as the story is told, but then culminating in these creatures who are made in his image. He actually wants partners. And so when we think about the highest form of power, I think we do often think, boy, if I really had power, I would just say, you know, do it, and people would do it. <laughs> they would basically be little uh robots obeying my commands um and this is what we think it would be like to be god to be able to just move things around and move uh persons around without regard to what they want but it seems like the deeper form of power is actually to call into being other other persons who can actually collaborate with you because that's what god essentially invites these creatures made in his image to do to be his representatives in the midst of creation so you know, we really have to get away from this idea that the, the realest form of power is control or command and realize that actually the realest form of power is creation and collaboration. That's when you have the most powers, when other people actually take up their own
1: creative abilities. And, and that understanding, that perspective is, is critically important, isn't it? Because if we're going to redeem power then there has to be something worthy of being redemptive there. And so often, as I say, I think, Andy, a lot of us mistake power for meaning that means you get to do whatever you want to do in order to other people around to do your bidding, which, as we're learning, is absolutely not the case at all. So then at the end of the day, it's understanding that perspective that allows us to see the good of power and how this can be then redeemed for God's purposes. That was one of the big breakthroughs
2: for me was when I realized we often talk about power as if it's the same thing as dominance or domination and actually that domination is a is a very weak form of power if all I have over you is the ability to make you do things that you don't want to do i actually have very little Real power.
1: And it's interesting Uh, you mention that. I remember thinking back to a lot of the media reports, for example, over Ariel Castro. This is that guy there in Cleveland that kidnapped Amanda uh, Berry and and two other girls. Uh, And and you would read the story on the surface and see the way which he uh, he held these girls in in the basement of this house with uh, wire ties around their wrists and chains and everything else. And you think, well, there's demonstrative of this guy being so powerful, wielding all this power over these girls. And yet the deeper you get into the psyche in the story, you begin to realize, no, this guy's not powerful at all. In fact, he's pretty powerless.
2: Yes. And, and, you know, Paul uh, will use the language of imprisoned or slave. You know, a slave... Especially in the ancient world, with someone who had absolutely no power of their own, completely dependent on their master, and Paul says, if we really get gave into that idea of domination, if we got what we think we want, which Ariel Castro did kind of get for a time, but what he thought he wanted, the ability to dominate, we actually become slaves uh, of sin. We we don't end up being masters, and that's why the serpent's promise in the garden is so. Um, appealing and so deceptive because actually once the man and woman get what they want what we want to be like god without having to be in relationship with god they actually find that they don't have what they wanted at all um, and that's what where domination leads. It, it, it actually, strangely enough, leads to the, the one who would be master ends up being, becoming completely so, mastered
1: by it. Really, Satan is in the process of distorting power then uh, from the very beginning and all the time. Yeah. I mean, think, for example, about Jesus there during the 40 days in the wilderness uh-huh. and the number of times that he was tempted. And, and I always read those passages and thought to myself, Satan, you're an idiot. I mean, to begin with, you're going to say that you're going to offer... <laughs> Very God himself, here, if you just bow down and worship me, I give you all of the kingdoms of the earth, and so on and so forth. And I always thought to myself, how can you give God what he already has? (laughs) It's all his to begin with. He created it all, so how can you give him what he already has? Yes, but, you know, in a way, Jesus is the only human being who has heard
2: those temptations and not at some level given in. Mm -hmm. Now, not all of us uh, have heard the promise of every single kingdom, but all of us have that kind of twinge of an idea that we're made for more than we have. And and that's true. Uh, We, You know, we're made in the image of God. We're made for much more than we currently experience. But Satan insinuates this idea that there's a shortcut to it, that it involves domination, that it involves kind of cheating God of what God, only God can give. And Jesus is the only human being who's ever realized that's actually not, uh, that bargain will not actually work out. It's actually a lie. And if, if he went through with it, he would find that Satan had mastered him. And instead, he came out of that temptation able to to say no.
1: Bring us back to this full circle of the issue of um, bringing power back into the balance. First, to understand mm-hmm. that it, it, it needs to first and foremost be used for the capacity to do good. And we see when we really mention this, even from the very get go, we see this in scripture, the very first acts of God are crea- is the demonstration of creative power.
2: Mm-hmm yeah so I think one question to ask is you know with whatever power I have today, you know you mentioned i have a I have a title I'm executive editor of a magazine called Christianity today. Well, that's a position of power. so the question is i think there's a couple questions one is who am I using that power for and if the answer is I'm using it mostly for my own benefit to uh you know increase my own notoriety or fame or my own wealth or you know any number of things. Then it's I'm probably going to end up using other people for my ends, but it might be possible to use even you know positions like that actually for others flourishing. And I think in the case of people who say own a business, so it could be a small business, or have a position like I do, or you are in charge of some people, you you actually are given power not for your own flourishing, but for their flourishing. So one of the most important questions we can ask is, who is flourishing because I have power? (laughs) And if the answer is me and mine, that isn't very much like the true God, but if the answer is the people who actually are under my care are flourishing, they're becoming more of what they're meant to be, they're expressing their own power, they're getting to do things they, they wouldn't have gotten to do otherwise, then I think we're on the path to a much better use of power.
1: If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Andy Crouch is with us. He's the author of Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Now, when we come back after a quick timeout, we're going to go deeper into this topic, uh, how we can go about utilizing the creative and benevolent power that God has given to all of us. Um, in order to use it for his glory, to go deeper in our relationships, not just with God on the, uh, uh, the vertical plane, but with others on the horizontal plane as well, as Andy just referred to. We'll take a brief time out come back to more of our conversation right after this.
0: Now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Well, as we're discovering in our conversation tonight with Andy Crouch, and certainly displayed throughout so much of Scripture, uh, power can be used in very many good ways. We think of creative power. We think of the power that has been given to us unto salvation through Christ's substitutionary work on the cross. Uh, and yet, as we see the good side, the good aspects of power, we also recognize there's a power struggle. There's a balance between power being good, used for good, or power being good, used for evil. How do we go about harnessing harnessing power for the use for good, for the glory of the kingdom, and learn how to become I guess, ultimately, Andy Crouch, trustees of power. We're, we're, mm. we're kind of entrusted to this. It's just what we do with it, huh?
2: <laughs> yes, that's right. And, you know, the title of my book is Playing God. And we usually say that like it's a bad thing. Uh, and it is a really bad thing if you're not playing the true God. But the, really, the question is not whether you're playing God or not. It's which God are you playing? You're going to play some image. You're going to bear some image with your life. Your life will either reflect the image of a false god the god of domination the god who has to get his own way or it will reflect that the image of the true god the god who when things went so terribly wrong was even willing to give up his own son uh... to bear pain rather than inflict pain Um so it really comes down to what you believe ultimate reality is about and if you believe that, that the christian gospel is true it's going to change, I think, how you use the power you have and also who you use it for. You won't use it primarily for your own benefit, and you will use it, especially, it seems to me, for those who are the, the most vulnerable, the least and the last and, and the lost that Jesus talked about so many times. Jesus kind of reorients our use of our power towards people who can never pay us back necessarily, who can't benefit us, but who our exercise of power can actually help them flourish.
1: This is kind of a delicate dance, isn't it, because we see, for example, uh, examples of uh, servant leaders. These are individuals who, who have power, maybe within an organization that they can hire and they can fire things of this sort, uh, and, and yet they wish to, instead of putting that power to use to demonstrate how much power they have, rather mm. sharing it with others to to empower them. It's interesting how perhaps the, the, there's a certain power of shared power, isn't there?
2: Absolutely and i think that's a a wonderful model and uh in a way you know i think power really is it's supposed to be used to serve um, that is to say it's supposed to be used to help others flourish who would not have flourished if you didn't use your power so if you have one of those positions, your responsibility is to make sure that other people flourish, and that's, in a way, the deepest, I think, sense of what's
1: serving. Well, is. We, and we certainly see that, you know, throughout Scripture. I mean, for example, God is a righteous and holy God who created us, could have easily have said, well, my creation has offended me, and therefore I'm going to use my power to punish and abolish my creation. Instead, he used his power to bring about victory over death and sin through the work that his son did on the cross
2: amazing and you know as amazing as creation is in some ways the new creation Paul talks about which is the result of the the giving of god and god's son on the cross is even more amazing the new creation is just extraordinary that god reaches into this broken world and doesn't act simply to wipe things out or to cont- even to command and control everything but starts recreating right in the midst of it, and ultimately is going to make everything new, it says in Revelation. That's real power, <laughs> to the ability to make all things new, to wipe tears from people's eyes, from everyone's eyes. Um, and we, of course, we only get a little taste of that uh, in our own lives. We're only given a tiny measure of that. And any more than we have would overwhelm us. But I do think we have access to that kind of recreating power, as well as the sort of original creativity that was human beings' birthright as image bearers.
1: How do we start this process in terms of, I think, probably just evaluating where we're at in this power struggle Uh, that we have with God? And, uh, of course, that that then spills over into every other relationship. How do we go about analyzing Andy, the way we're using our power, either to good or to uh, evil, and then learn how to rebalance it so that it becomes a, a redemption of power? I think that's a fantastic
2: question. And, you know, I would start with our, uh, with our neighbor who we have seen, as James says. James says, you know, how can you love God who you haven't seen when you can't love your neighbor who you have seen? And we can Sometimes be very clever about rationalizing our relationship with God, but our neighbor sees how we treat them, and I'm thinking maybe not so much our next door neighbor, though it could be that, but the people who are closest to us. I think the place to start is to ask very to create an environment where you can honestly ask and honestly hear how am I using whatever power I have, um, and so husbands should ask this of their wives, uh, and wives should ask this of their husbands. Can start at home. It can happen in the workplace, to say, you know, I have power in this position, perhaps, and asking the people who are affected by that, how am I doing? And making sure that they can answer honestly. Now, that takes time. That takes building trust. But I think other people will, the other thing that happens, most of us don't think we have very much power. But when you ask other people, what are some of my gifts? What are areas where when I do this, it really creates things? They will. They'll give you insight into the power you actually have, even if you don't have a title that seems like it has a lot of power or a position that seems like it has a lot of power.
1: Now let's talk then about relationship to bringing that power balance back in our in our relationship with God.
2: Mm. So then, I so once we've started to. Uh, hear from our neighbors, <laughs> how we're doing, I, I think there's a huge place for, you know, what often the Christian tradition is called the spiritual disciplines, because the spiritual disciplines actually put us in a very powerless place. When I fast, or when I am silent, or when I pray alone, there's no one to impress. <laughs> it's not something I'm very good at. I think the interesting thing about the spiritual disciplines, like fasting, is any, any, human being, uh, any healthy adult human being can do that. It's not hard to do, and yet it's impossible to do it well. Then, When you seriously take up a discipline of fasting, you discover how, how uh, sort of uh, accustomed you are to filling every little need with food, and you discover how much you need God. Uh, so I think the spiritual disciplines... are are ways that sort of train us to realize how dependent we've become on our own sense of ourselves and our own sense of power. And they they sort of lay us open before God. And it's amazing what you discover about yourself Mm -hmm. in prayer as you practice these disciplines.
1: And at the end of the day, it's not that God wants to strip us of power. It's how we channel and how we direct that, how we use that power
2: he wants us to have true power and more i think than we ever really imagine uh you know paul when he's trying to deal with the church in corinth and they're you know taking each other to court <laughs> he says look don't you know we're going to judge angels i mean there's an immense amount of power that is waiting to be conferred on these redeemed image bearers that god wants to bring back into his creation the way it was originally meant to be so god you know this is the 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 great lie is that God wants to take power away from us and keep us from having things we want, (laughs) when in fact God has more for us than we could ever imagine. But it's a matter of becoming the kind of uh, image bearers who can bear the weight of that and Mm. who can not be uh, kind of corrupted by it.
1: To whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, yeah. And that really kind of brings us full circle on this topic tonight. I, I sure appreciate you diving into this. Andy, because it's one that I think, you know, again, we we look at all mankind, and we see a power struggle going on. We look at history, we see a power struggle going on. We look at Scripture, we see a power struggle going on. We look at sin in our lives with God, and we see a power struggle going on. It's not that power is a bad thing. I mean, Thank goodness for power. We wouldn't be on the radio right now if it wasn't for power. And yet if I walked up to one of the towers and decided to wrap my arms around it, I could also find out that the same power that's allowing our voices to get out all over the San Francisco Bay Area uh, could strike me dead in the wrong fashion in a quick second. So it really comes down to our relationship with power and what we do with it
2: exactly and the good news is god is at work in all this and uh... that very thing that can electrocute (laughs) and in a way did electrocute his son right his son suffered the worst that human power can do that God can even overcome that and has something amazing on the other side of it that really brings uh, blessing to, to the world. And that's what I think the hope that we can have as we realize that power is everywhere, uh, but, but God's power to redeem and recreate and restore is everywhere as well.
1: You, you might initially hear the topic and say, well, this is a good book. I'm going to get a copy from my boss. <laughs> um, or I have a husband or a wife or whomever that seems to be on a power trip. But really, all of us struggle at one level or another with power, trying to redefine what our relationship with power is, and then to learn that this is not something that um, should be shunned per se, that in fact it's a gift from God. How do we, though, redeem it for his purposes? You'll find some great insights. Pardon me, inside the pages of Andy Crouch's new book called Simply Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. The new book, again, published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as uh, all the usual suspects, Amazon.com, etc. Andy Crouch, thanks so much for being with us. Great book, great conversation. There's Andy Crouch, executive editor of Christianity Today, author of the new book, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Over the last many months, there has been a growing body of concern over the school shootings. Places like Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Marshall County. The list seemingly continues to grow, and with it concerns by parents. Not just over whether or not the physical environment is a safe one for children to learn, but certainly Christian parents have known for a long time that while that's important, so too is the quality of and safety of the academic, moral, and spiritual environment in which our children are educated. Joining me today in studio is Brian Recton, and Brian is here to share some good news about an opportunity for parents all across the San Francisco Bay Area who've long dreamed about getting their child into a private school where they can make sure that not only is there a safe learning environment from a physical aspect, but also a safe learning environment from the academic moral, and spiritual aspect. And Brian, at the end of the day, this half-off tuition program that KFAX has been running for a number of years now really helps parents accomplish just that.
3: Yeah, it's very exciting, Craig. And actually, we're doing this for the seventh year. And uh, over 89 families have actually benefited from this, and they've enrolled their children, and they've taken advantage of these half-price vouchers. And the first thing that I usually hear from parents is, you know, when I tell them half-price, they say, what's the catch? Well, there really isn't a catch. This has uh, been working wonderfully. God is using it in in mighty ways. Uh, for families that just think Christian school is out of their reach... We've partnered with now, uh, so far, uh, 16 schools this year, although schools continue to uh, come on board. But when we launch this, we'll have uh, at least 16 schools spread throughout the Bay Area that will be offering vouchers at half price. Now, the only catch really is that it's new families, families that are not currently enrolled, and they do limit it to one per family because they're trying to uh, bless as many families as possible. And and basically, the re-enrollment rate is nearly ninety percent. So what history has shown us over these uh, six years that we've completed this process? is that once a family does enroll their child or children in a Christian school, the vast majority of them re-enroll.
1: The proof is in the pudding. They get a chance to experience the difference in their child's attitude, in their sense of well-being. Certainly, uh, almost across the board, a marked improvement mm-hmm. in their academic testing and scores. And, you know, that's attributable things like a low student-teacher ratio in private schools, Bible-based education, the level of attention that the students receive, so I guess for the parents, they come in with this with sort of a seems too good to be true, but let's put our toe in the water and test it. And lo and it. behold,
3: they find that it is true. And you know what else? They don't have to do. They don't have to debrief their kids every day when they come home from the government schools. <laughs> yes, this is you true. know, what did you hear today? What did you learn today? And all the craziness, you know, with with uh, you know gender neutral bathrooms and all the crazy stuff going on in the public school, they're finding that it's a breath of fresh air. They're actually looking forward to their children coming home from school to talk about what they learned that day.
1: And it finally puts the parent, the child, the administration, the teacher, all on the same page, all pulling together for the well-being and best interest of the child. Now, this isn't to say that there aren't good public schools, because they are. But with so many agendas afoot at the state level, at the federal level, and as you mentioned, between the curriculum and some of the other policies, Parents have a lot to be concerned about as to whether or not what they're trying to instill in terms of biblical and moral values and academic standards in their child is being supported or countermanded mm-hmm. in their scholastic experience. And the good news with a private Christian education is everybody's on the same page.
3: Everybody. And, you know, what I would encourage listeners, if you're hearing this and you're not you've, – you've never heard this before, you're new in the area, you just started listening to KFAX, I'd encourage you to go to our website – KFAX.com, click on any of the banners that are on the homepage that say Back to School, and you'll see the list of schools. We put up a convenient map there where you're going to be able to see where all the pins are located, and you'll see everything there is to know about those schools, the website, some information on the school, what grades they're offering vouchers for. And if the two align with with your family, then I would encourage you to call. Uh, call me. My number and my name will be there on that page. You can ask me any questions you want. You can go visit the school. You can take a tour. The thing you want to do, though, is you want to let them know immediately that you're, you're trying to claim a KFAX voucher. Now, of course, these schools are very familiar with the voucher program. I want to talk for just a second, too, about the army of listeners that have heard about this, the 89 families that have already enrolled a child. And I'm going to ask if uh, I could solicit you all as ambassadors for this program. You've tasted and seen what this program has meant to your family. So I just encourage you to mention it to friends, mention it to coworkers, mention it to folks at church. Let them know about the program. A lot of people, uh, there are one or two people in the Bay Area that don't listen to KFAX. We know most of them do. But uh, this has been such a blessing. I could talk for hours and tell God's stories of how this has changed lives. I, I, I don't have it in studio with me, but I just got an email from a mom from back in 2014 whose son is now graduating, going on to a very, very prestigious college. And she sent us an email just saying It all started with the half-price voucher. I never dreamed I would be able to enroll my son in Christian school. Four years later, he's graduating, and his life's been transformed.
1: And it is an indisputable fact that because of the difference in the student-to-teacher ratio in private schools, the biblical-based standards, Mm -hmm. um, the, the attention to scholastic excellence at every level, that SAT test scores are higher. Children that matriculate through K through 12 and then go on to two- and four-year colleges and universities is significantly higher. So at the end of the day, it's it's well worth the experience. And I would have mentioned, too, Brian, those ambassadors uh, to share the word also include grandparents out there. Oh, for sure. You want to think about blessing your grandson or granddaughter by taking advantage of a voucher and providing them with that entree into private education can make a huge difference in their life now let's talk about um, a few of the housekeeping details again more information available at kfax.com just look for the half off tuition banner anywhere click on that that'll take you to the map you can find out what schools are available in your area that list as brian mentioned is growing daily again at kfax.com you can also get information in terms of the details of the program so first-time families one child per family uh, you do have to meet the school's individual scholastic entrance requirements. Yeah, the
3: school will still meet with the family. Um, but here's the good news is uh, even at half price, your funds are never at risk. Because if for any reason, and it's stated very clearly on our website, if for any reason you or the school doesn't go forward with the er- enrollment, you get a full and immediate refund. So your your funds are never at risk. The important thing to know, though, is it, it is a first-come, 1st first serve. Uh, opportunity here, so you you want to get onto the website, you want to see if a school is in your area, even if you want to just explore the possibilities. I would encourage you to call me and um and if there's a school that you're considering on that list, I would actually claim the voucher and then go through the process because again, your funds are never at risk. And then, um, if for any reason you or the school don't go forward, you'll get that refund. But, but when the when the vouchers are gone, they're gone.
1: Yeah. So don't think, gee, the fall semester is so far away. I've got plenty of time. No, you don't. And some of the more popular schools and the more densely populated regions uh, certainly go fast. And so uh, early bird catches the worm, as they say. Well, the old a number of goes. schools
3: will be sold out of vouchers in April, without question.
1: Now, what if I go to the website, kfax.com, I click on the half-off tuition banner, I look at the list, I look at the map, and go, wow, the school that I was hoping for is not there.
3: I would encourage you to immediately call me. You'll see my name and number on that page. And let me contact the school and find out. It could be a school that, for some one reason or another, we didn't reach out to them, or they had a change in superintendent or principal, someone wasn't familiar with the program, we can explain it to them. You can even call them and say, you know, uh, are you familiar with the KFAX voucher program because I don't see your school listed on the website. Every year, we do get schools that come to us because a parent requested that they consider the half-price So if you
1: don't see the school in your neighborhood that All you're familiar lost. with, yeah, don't, don't think that there's no opportunity because there is. And again, complete details available at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. You can also call toll-free to pose questions, how many vouchers are still available, details of this sort, anything that might be unique to your circumstance. Uh, simply call toll-free 800-947-KFAX. That's 800 800- Nine four We'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Again, as Brian points out, this is on a first-come, first-served basis, so the early bird catches the worm. We invite you to go online today to kfax.com, check out the half-off tuition page, and then again, if you have any questions or to redeem your voucher, call toll-free 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX. Brian, anything to add?
3: Just I've seen how God has used this program over these uh, six prior years, the 89 families that have claimed vouchers. I don't think the whole story has been written. I think that we're going to see these students just go on. I think of the mighty men and women of God. It talked about in the Old Testament, and I think a lot of these children that are coming in on these vouchers are going to go on to do great things for the kingdom.
1: And at the end of the day, when it comes to rearing our child and giving them the tools they need for their not only scholastic future, but quite frankly, for their adulthood, we really only get one chance to do it right. So don't hesitate. Get more information. Go online today, kfax.com, or call toll-free 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX.